You're listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And i got to tell you something, people. Uh, my birthday is coming up. And what's funny, when I did my research on my guest today, his birthday is the day before mine. But my birthday is coming up. And Joanne said to me, she said, you know, what do you want for your birthday? And seeing we just got married, we got so much crap at the bridal shower. Half the boxes aren't even open. I said, don't worry about it. We'll just go to sushi. So when you ask me if my life is exciting, well, I'm going to sushi for my birthday, so make your own mind up. Anyway, we have a great show today. My guest, I'm very, I'm very uh, excited to talk to him. Actually, I saw him play in South Jersey at the Vault in Berlin about a year ago or eight months ago, and he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and he's legendary, and my guest is Denny Lean. How you doing, Denny? I'm doing well. How are you, Steve? I'm doing well. Now, now i got to ask you. As I say, you you were in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You were an original member of both the Moody Blues and Wings. You've toured the world. You've performed in front of millions upon millions of people. What does someone like you do for their birthday? Because I believe your birthday is the 29th. <laughs> well, it's, it's usually wherever I am. That's the first thing. So, you know, you can't really plan things. You know what I mean? I'm sure something will happen. But, uh, yeah, I just kind of do it wherever I go. And, yeah, we're on our way to Florida, actually, so probably do something on the way. <laughs> so, I don't know. Now, yeah, I just play by ear. That's the way it is. Birthdays are, you know, they're great, but as I say, you know, I don't think about it, really. Now, you know, you've been, you've been a professional musician for years, what when did you start performing music? Were you a young kid? I mean, what and what got you into playing music? Well, I was the first live thing I can remember doing was I was twelve years old, and that was an old skiffle number, uh, a Lonnie Donegan song. It was big, like in England, and I was just performing at this event, this uh, Birmingham Institute event, as a little solo kid with a guitar, you know. And, that was my first real taste of it. So, you know, I mean, that, I was in bands after that. I was at school in bands and eventually got to, to turn professional. But really, I just started very, very young, just playing around the house and picked up a ukulele and got into listening to music. My sisters had a lot of records. So I was really, like, into, very much influenced by their stuff as well. Now... I heard you were inspired, and I don't know if this is true, by Django Reinhardt. Yeah, very much so. Not that I can, you know, I mean, I was inspired by, that was the kind of music that was around at the day, in the day. And it was all the, the classics, um, but the, jazz, the gypsy jazz thing turned those classics into their version of, of jazz, you know. And um, I always had... I, my dad comes from that kind of background as well, going way back. But um, I always had this thing for gypsy jazz music, and still to this day, I'm still learning. So, but you know, it was just—it's like Spanish music. I like that too. I like flamenco. So I, I kind of studied all different styles of, of uh, guitar, really. And uh, as far as my my uh, influences have made me, you know, myself after a while, you, you pick up on the wooden strings and you, you become, you know, you do your own thing. Now, you were 12, you said you are young when you started. Now, when did you start writing songs? Was that something that you did later in life? Yeah. Well, again, my first, well, not first band, but the first 
band that had any success in Birmingham. Um, I had Bev Bevan from ELO on drums, and it, and you know, so I mean, I was kind of in this band that was pretty big in Birmingham. And we used to do a lot of obscure stuff, R and B stuff, but, but at the same time, because we didn't want to just do all the pop stuff like everybody else. But at the same time, I started to write, and um, and that's you know the first sort of taste of it I got. It was always it was always a bit weird stuff though. I wasn't very commercial, if <laughs> you know what I mean. But uh, yeah, but then I, I went on to writing with Mike Pender from Moody Blues, and it developed from that really to do my own thing for a while, and then working with Paul and writing with him. So yeah, it was a very slow process, but. Yeah, that's what I do now all the time. You know? Now, now you said the Moody Blues. How did that band form? What? How did you guys meet? What happened? I mean, how did it all start up? Uh, again, uh, this was a situation where I wanted to turn professional, and my band, the diplomats they were called, didn't want to turn professional. They all had jobs, except Beth and uh, the drummer. But, but anyway, um, the two guys just come back from Germany same sort of clubs the Beatles were playing in and um, you know they're older than me by a few years so they wanted to put a band together and I was available I suppose because the word got around and I wasn't you know I wanted to, to move to London I wanted to sort of I was ambitious so um, anyway they approached me and instead of going back to Germany which is what they wanted to do because there's a lot of work out there with the, uh, the American forces net ba- you know bases out there and all stuff and and all the, the well you know just just english music was very big out there but it, instead of that we got discovered and taken to london and it all went from there um but you know with the first tour we ever did was the chuck berry tour so that was very very big and very good to us and we just went to a completely different level as soon as we moved to london we had great management too though so so you start, you get the band together, and now how do you come up with the name? Well, <laughs> that's a funny story, actually. Um, I do a lot of solo shows as well, and I tell this story, and people, I, I think, well, I don't want to bring you down, but the, the Moody Blues used to be called the M&B Five, and the M&B stood for a brewery in Birmingham called Mitchells and Butlers. So it's <laughs> kind of funny. You know, people think of the Moody Blues, wow, oh, that's a cool name, but it came from that, and we got known as that, so I think it was Mike Pinder was uh, big into, um, you know, jazz, and, and Mood Indigo was just, was an album he had, so he kind of worked it out from there. Um, I thought I thought of the blues a bit, but it doesn't matter, because we were a blues band, actually, to start with. So Moody Blues kind of fitted, but, you know, when you look back now at all the names, it's a pretty good name, really. Yeah, now, it was just out of the fact that we had to do it, you know, change right. it. <laughs> now, now, what was the music scene like back then? What you know, who was your competition? Should say who was else getting trying to get record deals? What was the scene like at that time? Well, there were a lot of bands in Birmingham, so that's one of the reasons I wanted to move. And there was no music business per se in Birmingham, my hometown. It's only hundred miles north of London. But you know, they were just starting to build some of the, you know, infrastructure of music, build uh, record labels or whatever, you know, magazines, things like that. The Brom Beach was a magazine that just started.
anyway, when we switched up to London, we weren't part of that scene anymore. We, our competition, competition, friendly competition, was really all the London blues bands. I mean, the blues artists and all the people that came from out of town like us and settled in London to do the same thing, to be discovered. So it was all sorts of different, you know, we met people like Jeff Beck with Rod Stewart, you know, we met, um, I mean, we met the Beatles down there as a band, but I mean, I'd already met them before, but we met a lot of bands like the Animals that came from out of town, we, we sort of became part of the scene down there, but it was all friendly competition and, uh, and everybody was trying to outdo each other. We played a lot of gigs together, actually, there was a lot of doubles. So it was all that, and like the Stones, we did a tour with the Stones a bit, and then they stole a couple of the songs we used to do on stage, and things like that. But other than that, it was all good fun, you know. It was great. It was nice to have people and the clubs who you could sort of talk with about, you know, music and all sorts of things. Now, now you said you guys you started off as a blues band, pretty much blues. Now, is that why you left? Did you want to keep going in that? Uh, Direction or, or what happened? Like, why did they change the sound? In a way, well, let's put it this way: like, Birmingham is not known to be like that kind of music. It's more popular. It's like if you want to get a gig, you go play all the hits. And, and there's only us and Steve Winwood and, and Spencer Davis group really that were doing that kind of music. And we knew that there was going to be more of them people and more work for that down in London. So that's one of the reasons I wanted to go. But obviously, you know, when you're around all those people, I mean, like you played for Yardbirds, Eric Clapton, and all those people, and I never met all the people. So we were developing our style away from the blues, the authentic blues. As you say, like the writing team came in, and, and there was it's sort of, you know, a mixture of every bit of music, style of music, and then we, we developed our own sound. We had a piano. We had we had a lot of vocalists in the band, so we had a different sound to a lot of people. And um, so that's really what it was. Now, it was based on... now you left, and then I know you started the Electric Spring String Band. Now, how do you how did you find people? Because it's different now. Like if someone wants to find a band now, they can just sit there and put a post up on Facebook. But for then, <laughs> how, how did you find the band then? Because it, it's it's a big city. You're in a big place. There's tons of musicians. How did you find that yeah. band? Well, everything just happened word of mouth with me. You know, it's just most of this stuff has come to me. If you see what I mean. Um, but in this particular case, you know, I wanted to do something a little bit different. I, I was at the stage where the just wanted to stay on the road. They weren't doing too well. The album didn't sell that much. And we just went, they just wanted to make money. So I said we should be going to the studio and we owed a decker a record and an album anyway. But anyway, I went off and started doing some writing and I thought, well, you know, I was very much influenced by, obviously, George Martin and Paul McCartney because of their fusion with Eleanor Rigby and things like that. You know, so I thought, well, wouldn't it be good to just have a, you know, a few strings on stage. So that's what I did. I got a trio together. I sort of auditioned a couple of guys in the studio. I wrote a song called Say It Out Mind and, and that became the, the, the song that I used to audition with. And, um, so, and then I got some connections to the Royal Academy of Music. 
same manager in Moose Bills. And, um, and then we sort of had auditions for them. They came in. They'd never done anything like this before. They'd certainly never had pickups on their violins and cellos. So, you know, it developed that and, and that became this big thing. And actually, did a great gig with Jimi Hendrix and Paul McCartney and John Lennon and Peter Asher. Was a good friend of mine at the time and still is was in the audience so I mean it kind of led to me getting a bit to, to get with wings I think and I know the poor you know the word got back that they liked it it was a good show and that was with that string band so it was just me being experimental really but I was using what was going on you know and I was being influenced by what was going on in the music scene anyway everybody was trying to do something different in those days so you also at that time ventured into uh, solo solo recording, right? Yeah, I just wanted to just do something different and write. That's what. That's all it was. I mean, you know, I'd been in a band. I'd always been in bands, you know, except when I was a kid. <laughs> and then I did a couple of things then. But you know, so I just wanted to do something on my own, and uh, I did it for I don't know a year or two. Um, went to live in Spain for a while. Got a lot of influence from that kind of music. It just kind of kept off away from the scene a little bit in some ways. But then, as soon as I uh, started doing the circuits and you know the fairgrounds and whatever, I started getting popular. Um, but it was those guys got laid off. And actually, they were going on a tour, a world tour with the orchestra, and so I got laid off. And I wasn't working at the time. And uh, Mark Bowen was sort of a friend, and he was talking to me. He said, When are you going to go out and do some work? I said, Well, I'm waiting for the band to get back. I'm not chewing. He says, Well, you know, people are missing you, man. <laughs> so so I, uh, it made me think. Um, so I just kind of, you know, went and joined up with Ginger Baker and did that for a bit. And that was something to do. And then I got the call from Paul. So that was just kind of the way it went, you know. Now, now, how did you meet? How did you meet Paul earlier? I mean, you said you know from the was he you yeah. knew him from the scene. Yeah, no, in Birmingham, we we um, Beth Evans actually just contacted me. He said, "Do you remember when we played with the Beatles in Birmingham?" And we did. We opened for them. They were just starting, really. We played on the revolving stage. We went off. They came on, and um, you know, I met them to talk to in the dressing room and stuff like that. But then again, you know, I never really, I mean, just played the gig. And then, then we met them again in the Moody Blues in London, some big time in a club. And we became friends from then on, right from the beginning, we became friends. So I, I already knew Paul and all of those guys well before I joined Wings. Now, what is it like, you know, to have a Paul McCartney get in touch with you, and it's not like now it's a cell phone, I don't know if he left you a message, but what is it like for him to get in touch with you to have you join his band? I mean, he's a Beatle, you know, I mean, that's like, you don't get bigger than a Beatle. What was that like for you? Were you excited? Were you scared? What was it like? I mean, like I say, I already knew him anyway, but to me, you know, all those guys, they made it big time and all the rest of it, they were just guys and bands, just like everybody else. So it was purely just that, and because I knew him, I knew it would be pretty easy to work with him. Because, you know, you just don't want to just work with everybody. You want to, and of course, I was, I was very much, you know, I, I respected and admired his music as well. He's been 
songs. Um, so, I mean, I just fell into it. There's, I didn't think of him being a Beatles. I mean, I went to a few Beatles sessions and stuff like that. But they were more like friends. They used to come to our house, players, players, their demos and stuff. So we were just friends in a way anyway. So I didn't think of it that way at all. And when he got in touch with me, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised because I was doing nothing. And I thought, well, this is going to be fun. You know, at that time, I didn't know he was going to have like his wife in the band. I didn't know he'd got any Seibel already lined up because he played with him on the Ram album. I didn't know he'd already got an idea for a band. But anyway, I just went up there and it was easy. We just knew all the same stuff, you know. We just jammed and played and uh, got family again, really. Now, what was what were the writing sessions like? Cause I know you did a lot of writing with the two of them. Was it something that you would all throw ideas around, or someone would have an idea and say, "Let's do this"? How did that? How yeah. did you formulate songs? Yeah. Well, there's a few different ways that it would happen. I mean, one of the main ones that we had a few was month entire, but Paul already had that that uh, chorus. Now, if he got that chorus, that was a song for me. And even though, and I encourage him to sort of continue with it, he says, well, what do you think about, it's a Scottish thing, I, I don't know if we should do a Scottish song. I said, no, we should. So we went and wrote the rest of it the next day. And that was one example. It was one of the biggest things ever that we ever did. Now, another example was we would go to Spain, for example, for a week on a working holiday, and we'd just get together and, and, and write whatever came into our heads, you know, or what we're going to write about. You know, let's write about that, uh, that, that view over there. And, uh, let's write about the people in the hotel, whatever. You know, you would just come, because you were treated it like a, like a job, really. Like, you know, you were there to get something done. And so that's one way of doing it. And then, then I would have some bits, or I'd have a few couple of songs, and he would say, well, why don't we join them together? Which happened on one song that we did on Band on the Run album. And um, it would all be different. You know, I might have some words, and he might have a tune, or the other way around. And, and that's how it just depends. You know, when you treat it like a job, and you've got to get something done, you actually do. Now you join the band and you know they're going to be a hit. What is it like when you start touring? Because people, you know, people are going to come see you. You don't have that. That you don't have to worry about that. But what is it like to be joining a band that you know are going to be a hit right from the beginning? <laughs> I, I got to tell you, you got some good questions going here. Um, well, again, you know, it's a challenge. And you, but you don't really worry about it. All you do really is you do your own thing. Well, that's all we ever did. You know, we weren't particularly influenced by management or record labels and stuff like that. A lot of people were, of course, but we never were. We never really took any notice of what people said we should do. You just do your own thing. And then that's a little bit what that was like. You know, we knew that we would get better, you know, a new band takes a while. I mean, you can't just become an, an overnight success as a band unless you've worked together for a while. 
and, uh, and that was a problem. We had to build that into playing, so we played live a little bit. But, but basically, it was it was something we knew we would have to just just persevere and just we would get there in the end. But we didn't expect it to be. You know, I mean, we're up in Scotland. We we didn't work in the public eye so much, so nobody knew what was going on a lot of the time, and we just carried on until we got good. And then, of course, you know, we we we, we then went on a tour, and we had very good followings, and and therefore, you know, we we had to rise to the occasion. Now, so oh, go ahead. Before that, before that joining the wings when and your other bands what was like the biggest size crowd you played to earlier in your career well um you know i mean we did we did do the odd thing where we actually we did the enemy new musical express um it was a thing all the bands did but it was in it was a wembley arena so you know it was a big crowd but, but that was very rare i mean nobody used to arenas in them days <laughs> so, but the Lewis we got we did ballrooms and ballrooms are always packed because people like to come out dancing on Saturday night you know and get drink drinking dancing and so we played a lot of those kind of places but we only really started to get into the theatres when we played uh, with Chuck Berry and because of Chuck Berry being so big in England you know that's what that they always just do the theatres, they don't, you know, the movie theatres. So we did a whole tour there, and then that built up to, of course, you know, me doing the same with Wings, which is arenas. But, uh, yeah, how do you yeah. how do you transition? I mean, you're transitioning from as you said, you did Wembley, but then you're doing theatres, but then you're transitioning to the Wings, where you're playing arenas. How as an artist and a musician? Do you acclimate to that? Well, you take it all in the stride. I mean, it sounds, you know, blase for me to say that, but you really don't think about it. You just think, oh, we've got a gig. We're going to be going on tour. We're going to be... And you knew that you had the, the guys, you had the equipment, you had the... You know, it was done on that level. And uh, like every gig was the same as the other gig, really. It, it might be in a different town, but you just got used to it. And, and the first time you do it, I just think, wow, this is amazing. Like, I think Seattle was the biggest crowd with about 80,000 people when we first started. And I thought, wow, this is big. But you get used to it. Um, but, you know, it all starts out off with other tours where you're going around doing, like, I don't know, outdoor shows and stuff like that. But you really don't think, you don't think of it as being anything amazing, really. You're just you're just playing, you know. That's all you're doing. But you know, sometimes I wish I could be in the audience watching what was going on because you know you're kind of watching the audience, but you're not really thinking about. You know, you're just getting you're you're, you're more concentrating on being good, you know, getting your harmonies together, you know, all that stuff. Being you know. It makes you rise to the occasion. Let's put that. That's the best way I can describe it. You really do have to be on your game when you're playing to that many people. Well, you do anyway. But you know that excitement level just puts you right there. Yeah. Now, now you're touring and you're touring with a Beatle. Is there just are people getting fanatic when you guys get to the show? I mean, 
Could you guys go to regular hotels or a bus, or did you travel separately than Paul and his wife? How did that work? Because people, you know, people just have that thing about the Beatles that they still go crazy. Well, it was, we all traveled together most of the time. I mean, we did one tour in Europe where we had an open-top uh, tour bus, but that was just a gimmick, really. But, yeah, we'd all travel together. Uh, on tour, we would have private plane, but, but you know, most of the time we'd all travel. Uh, like, you know, me and him and Paul and Linda would mostly travel together anyway. I mean, because we were always doing separate things apart from just the band thing. But no, we, we all travel together. And um, he had, obviously, a lot of attention. And he, he knew how to handle it. He knew how to deal with it. But I think in the Beatles, he was more used to other people stepping in and, you know, sharing the limelight with him. So I think he had a bit of difficulty with it to start with. He had to be, you know, it, well, it's tiring getting all that attention. So, I, you know, I've got to praise him. Looking back, the way he handled it was very, very good. Well, as I say, I was on the outside looking in more. But again, I was getting a lot of attention too. It's not like I just came off the street, you know. I'd, been, I'd had some success as well. So I mean, we were very well. We had that kind of friendship thing, like a little family type friendship of, of knowing, you know, how to deal with all that stuff. So it was something that we uh, we kind of grew into. But it was different for him, as I say, than being in the Beatles. Now, now you're you're a big you're in a part of a big band. Do people start coming out of the woodwork wanting stuff from you, and then do celebrities approach you? What was that? What was that part like of being in such a big band? Well, you know, again, you try to 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 visualize this, but if you think about the fact that we were, you know, in a big band, but we're just ordinary people, really still deep down wooden people and when we were up on the farm in Scotland or whatever or hanging around people's houses whatever, we were just like ordinary people um, without all that attention so we kind of relied on that all the time we, we weren't um, um, I don't know how to describe it really but we, we, we weren't we didn't feel like stars if you see what I mean I mean that's specific. <laughs> I mean, just to say that again, I didn't quite get what you meant, but, but it's just it's just very, very easy, really, when you know people. You know, you, you don't, you know, you don't feel like any different to anyone else, you know what I mean? But when they're coming on to you, trying to be, I don't know, you know, all of a sudden they want to know you and they didn't before, is that what you're getting at? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, all of a sudden, you know, you have your fifth cousin who you never talked to showing up to a gig going, hey, can you get me backstage? Come on, you know, you remember me. We, we, we played oh, soccer yeah. together. Well, you, yeah, you do get that. And you do feel a certain amount of pressure from that, but you just get used to saying, no, you have to. <laughs> but, but at the same time, you know, you do try and help people too as much as you can. But you, you've had enough experience of being in bands and being a, a certain amount of success that it's built up to that. Did you know how to deal with it? You know, you don't just let people walk all over you just because you're famous and rich. <laughs> you know, I mean, well, I suppose I did to a certain degree, I must admit, but, but again, it's, it's all part of, you learn as you go. That's all I can say. 
Now, when you were playing with Wings, you also were recording solo. How did you balance the two with your writing styles? Well, I wasn't really recording solo during the Wings period. I had one album come out, but that was done before I joined Wings. It just wasn't released until the first couple of years or something. But then again, I never really did anything solo during the Wings period. In the 80s, I started to do a lot of solo albums and stuff like that but but everything you know it's like working with people from another you know from another town I mean Paul's from Liverpool I'm from Birmingham you end up almost speaking the same language after a while you even sound the same you use the same phrases <laughs> the accents become very very integrated stuff like that so a lot of the songwriting that we did and it all you know it, it kind of followed on after I left and or doing my own solo stuff, I always still had those influences. I was part of that whole thing, you know, because we work so close together. You're going to pick up a lot of people's, you know, ideas and whatever. Just the way it is, you become that similar personality. Now, you, what happened with you leaving the Wings? Where? Why did you leave? And I know they broke up. I mean, at that time, but what happened? he got busted in Japan and I felt that that was going to be hard to go out on the road again you know as a touring band which is we'd really built up to that point and this is what the third lineup of Wings now we had two other guys and um, it was going to be the beginning of a whole another big touring situation and that kind of knocked that on the head so I thought uh oh now it's back to the studio again and now it's back to you know waiting until we all can get visas again and go out and do this again and sure enough you know it took him a while to get back out and do it but I just thought well that's it I'm going to go and do my own thing and so I did and and I wanted to do my own thing for a while anyway I mean I'd, I'd already done, been continuing to record with Paul don't forget after the Japan thing but um, you know I want to go off and live in Spain again and, and just take some time off. That's really what it was. Um, and all the pressure of being in the band. You know, I needed a rest, really. It was all a bit too much. So I did, but we never really fell out. It drifted apart a little bit, but um, not really. Um, and it, it was time, you know, after 10 years, it was just time to do something else. That's all. Now, you said, you know, you, you, you went to Spain and you relaxed. For someone who's was on the road, has been playing, is relaxing for you, was it really relaxing, or were you sort of antsy to get back in the studio? Like, you say to yourself, I'm, I'm going to relax, but then you're going, well, I can't just stop writing. What was it like for you? Well, yeah, that's good, too, because it wasn't really relaxing. Like, of course it wasn't. It's it's going away and sort of licking your wounds and sort of, you know, recharging your batteries. That's what it is. And, and, but as you're doing that, you're being influenced by other music. In other words, you know, traveling is all part of what we do. And traveling is like the lifeblood of, of a musician. That's where you get all your inspiration and everything from, especially writing. But, but anyway, you know, and I, I wanted to go and, um, what it was like I'd been there before and I wanted to just 
um, just the lifestyle again. I mean, at the time I was there before, I, was, I hung around with the guys who was um, actually a Vietnam, Vietnam draft dodger who, who was studying, you know, in, in Spain and France. Um, he was studying flute and, and flamenco guitar. So I hung out with him and I learned a lot from him. And, and so I was really just, you know, not relaxing, but I was having a different lifestyle. And, and really, you forget then about everything that you were doing because you're putting everything into a new thing. But it really was a fact that, you know, I was enjoying doing that. But at the same time, I was getting pressure from England to come back to England, get to meet together. You know, people wanted me to work again. And so eventually I did. But, but at the same time, I had to be out of, to out of there for a few years. Well, it was actually one of the reasons to get away from the, the British tax, which was too much, but that really wasn't the main reason. But it was, it was all, it all helped. And um, so, you know, I was just wanted to get away um, and do history charge really that's all well you did you did you did a bunch of solo albums and when you when you when you start doing a solo album do you in the first one do you have a band that you want to back you up in mind and then do you change pieces different musicians when you were doing more albums or do you pretty much keep the same core of people well that's another good question because at that time I didn't really have any band members I mean I did one album with Steve Holly on drums, and then that was, he's the guy who played in Wings, and he was a neighbor. I also did a, one album where Rick Wakeman was on it, and, and Chris Slade, who's, who's um, what's he with, um, ACDC, yeah. Uh, but you know, that, I, albums, most of the albums I did, I played a lot of instruments on them. I mean, I would still, I, I still like to have a, you know, a real drummer or a real bass player so that it would sound like a band, you know, the feel was there. But then a lot of the overdubbing I would do myself. Because I was kind of experimenting, I learned a lot from being in the studio working with Paul. Um, and so now I was in more of a position to produce and um, and write and, and, you know, use my own money to, to take my time to do, to do it. And I would go in there with a great engineer, that was the secret, to get a guy who was used to being, you know, the old school guy, like Decker or EMI, and, but also was up to date with what everybody else was doing at that particular time, at that time, was, you know, the 80s. But they knew all the, that was the beginning of one of the electronics to me. Um, so anyway, I, I would go in with that, and then I would always come out you know, slightly different album each time, but but I never really got into having a band as such. But uh, but I was experimenting with few musicians, but mostly um, in the studio with a good engineer. Really. Now, when when you when you do an album, when you're doing a solo album, you know you're writing. You know you said you know you needed a good engineer. Do you know when the album's done? Do you sit there and go? this is it. I, I am not writing anything else because I have the meat. It's all done. How do you know when it's done? Yeah, well, you don't really. You just, you know, you, you know, my thing was always to, to, to not dwell too much on each track. You know, like, we were always a little bit like that. We had open-ended studio time and it's it can be dangerous to do that because 
you know, you can just, you get to the point where you've heard the song too much and you can't decide whether you like it or not. Yeah. But, you know, the idea is to go in, because the old days used to go in there for three hours, three songs, and then you'd be out, because that's all they would pay for. So, but now, you know, you have more too much time. You've got to know when to say that's enough. And it's usually down to the first take or the second take and say, well, this, it was, that was the best take. Now we've done 10 more. We've wasted all this time. But, you know, just, then you go back to the original one. But, but again, it is, um, you get to the point where if you don't, you're not careful, you put too much stuff on a track and it can ruin it. So, you know, but you would always, you learn, um, and then when he listened, like I'll listen to an album now as I did years ago and think, oh, I shouldn't have done that extra verse <laughs> on the end. Should have made it shorter or whatever, you know. So you, you are, you, at the time, you just fly by the city pants, really. But you go in there to get it done as quickly as possible. Because after all, you know, you, you've got to learn the song. You learn the song as just you with a guitar or you with a piano. And then you go in there knowing the song. But again, then the overdubs are the things that you're experimenting with or, or whatever. But, but really, to overdo a song, if it, if it goes away from the original song too much, it loses something. So if you can't do it just on your own with a guitar, it's not going to be any, you know, that great if you, if you put too many tracks on or whatever. You know, it's a, a song is a song. But it can be ruined by production. Yeah. Now, as you were going from recording solo album to recording another solo album, how is your was your writing style changing as you grew and evolved as a musician, or what was what happened there? Yeah, it would it would uh, it would change according to whatever my circumstances were, where I was living, who I was with, whoever you know, inspired me or whatever. The music of the day mainly. Because if I if I was like admiring who you know, some some artist or whatever, then I might be like, you know, influenced by something I've heard of theirs. Or you would just you know, you'd be on a plane and you'd looking out the window and some idea would come to you. It's all about it's like it's like meditation writing. You have to have that little bit of peace of mind and quietness, and then there's nothing else going on to be able to sit down and actually write, put something together, and then it develops into a song or one way or another. And then once you've got that song, like I say, you try and keep it that way. Don't be influenced too far away from it. But most of the songs I write are, are, are sort of mostly fictional. I mean, it's something to do with the people and the place. But it's never really that. It's more, it's more, uh, you know, it's experimental. It's, it's kind of taking everybody's situation and making it, you know, a little story. See what I mean? I mean, you could be, it could be political in one verse and it could be a love song in another verse, but it could be or a bit of everything. Um, I mean, Dylan was really good at that. So, I mean, he's a good communicator of whatever was going on in the world. He would, like, throw into his songs. And that's what you do. You're kind of an eye in the sky. You're looking down, you know, in a way, when you're writing. You're thinking about what everybody's going through, what's going on in the world. And you you kind of have all those different influences. Um, 
and so that's how it would be with me. That's from album to album. It, it would depend on that. Um, but basically, what I'm doing is I'm trying. I'm improving too as I'm going. So, so you know, you actually get you playing more. You're writing quicker. You're doing. You're improving your your techniques in the studio and and all that. So, so each one so is slightly better than the last one. But again. You know, I didn't get the right, um, I don't know, management or, or back, it, back up behind it or take it seriously enough for them to ever be chart-worthy. But for me, it was it was just a way of getting something done. You know, I wanted to get something out there. I, and I've still got all those songs, and I still go out and play a lot of them now. Now, now what came easier for you, lyrics or music? Well... You know, I was always pretty good at lyrics because in school I was, you know, I was very interested in uh, history, um, English language, you know, stories, Shakespeare. I mean, silly enough, but I grew up 20 miles away from where Shakespeare was born. I mean, England is a land of poets anyway, you know, so it's all a bit like that. So you're all very, very influenced by... You know, of course, I came from a family of quite a few people. My parents are pretty old when I came along. So I had a lot of, um, I don't know, uh, advice and uh, whatever. I mean, I was, I was, I learned a lot from my family as I, as I was growing up. And, and I was writing, even in those days, short stories and things like that, you know. I used to like English class at school, for example, and the music, of course, and history and geography. Anything to do with music and um, travel, I was interested in. So there, from that, I would mix the lyrics more. With, with, as, as I was getting better at playing the guitar, then I would then, you know, get better at the lyrics. It's kind of, but, you, but usually the lyrics come first. That's, that's usually the way it works. But then now it'll be, I'm just sitting around playing and I'll come up with a guitar riff or something like that. And then that will inspire. Um, I might just have a title and that will inspire the rest of the song, the, the, the actual guitar part. And then you write the words around that piece of music. So it's one or the other, you know, or sometimes you'll just do a little bit of, little two lines of lyrics and, two lines of music and then you'll build it together. I mean, those those are the different ways of doing it. But, but as I say, you, when you treat it like a job and you, you just don't want to dwell on it too much because it can get too confusing, you know, uh, and then you just throw it away. So you just got to think, well, I'm going to get this done now. <laughs> you know? So you, you're doing... This... Having, having, sorry, go on. No, go on. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say, but sometimes, you know, I might write a lyric um, and then a year later I'll finish the song off. I mean, I was watching something with Vince Gill the other day where he wrote something when one of his best friends passed away and then he, then he didn't finish it off until his brother passed away. I mean, that's a sad story there, but, but that's one explanation for how he came up with a song, which was a great song. And and so, you know, you can have something sitting on the back burner for a long time and then all of a sudden you think, oh, I'll think I'll resurrect that. Yeah. Or somebody might turn around and say, oh, I like that. 
and then you'll just add to it. Now, now you're playing, you know, your solo career, but then also you got involved in the world classic rockers. How did that come about? And, that, and that's like, you know, an earlier super group. Yeah. Well, I wasn't really something I, I planned on doing. I was offered the job. And I was in England at the time. And I was, uh, you know, I was involved in something. It was a more like a, uh, a musical that I co-written with someone. And I was helping school to put that together. It was there. They're kind of, uh, you know, it was a show that we wrote and they, they were going to perform it for two weekends. And so I put a lot of work into that. And then some guy going to touch me and said, uh, do you want to do the Beatles Fest or whatever it was in, uh, I think it was LA. But anyway, I decided, uh, not really. But then, then this guy says, well, I've got a friend who's got a band and he wants to put some guys together, know all names. And I, and they, would you be interested in that? I said, well, maybe. So anyway, I came out to just kind of investigate that possibility. And um, the big weekend was on as well, I think. So anyway, I, um, I met these guys and they're all, you know, a couple of them from Steppenwolf and they're all from kind of good bands that I liked. See what I mean? And so I liked their music, so I thought, well, why not? And I just got into that. But again, you know, I think I left it too long. I was in there for too long. And it kind of takes up your time, all that stuff. And I wasn't getting enough real fulfillment out of that. I, I mean, I could have taken more time, you know, and gone in the studio again. But really, I, just, I was just kind of concentrating on that, which is what I tend to do. Um, but I was think I was in there for a little bit too long. But it was fun while it lasted, you know. Now, now, as an artist, what's the difference between being solo and being in a band? There's got to be a big difference, but then your talent is the common denominator. Well, like I said before, if you write a song and you're just performing it on your own, you know, you've just written it, and that's the song, right? But when you go to a band to play it, it doesn't end up like that song. It ends up with everybody else's influences on it, and whatever, or whatever. But but that's what you maybe enjoy being in a band for because you want that extra input. You want, you know, it's more fun to to have a great groove going with a bass player and a drummer, for example, who gets a really good feel and makes you perform. You know, so when you're used to being in a band, it's very hard to do it on your own. It's harder. But again, if you say, well, this song's a song, then you can do it either way, then you get used to that. And so therefore, I've done that, and I like both. You know, I enjoy the solo gigs. I love the, the band gigs, well, especially because the guys in the band I've got are real, really good players. Um, so I, you know... I know I can rely on them to come up with some great bits, you know. And also, I'm doing a, a trio gig um, next month in, in Florida. And I'm going to be looking forward to that because trio gigs, too, are, are really good because you all get a chance to really play, you know, to extend yourself, really. So that's really what that is. So I'm not just a solo artist. I'm not just a band member, but, but I kind of like both. And also... 
you know, anything gets boring if you do it too long. So it mixes it up a little bit. So there you go. Now, November 16th, as you did the trio, the Denny Lane trio is at the Funky Biscuit in Boca Raton. And it says a mix of moody blues and wing songs. How are you guys? What, what, first of all, what is the trio? What are the instruments you're using? Well, just bass and drums. But my guitar player from my band is, is a bass player. So we're going to be doing some stuff where he'll play guitar as well. I'm not going to be using keyboards on this particular gig, but further on down the line, I might start using keyboards as well. So it'll just be swapping instruments as well, just being you know, bass, drums and, and guitar. Um, it's just, again, um, something that I enjoy. I enjoy other people kind of, you know, showing what they've got. You know what I mean? It's like they they they're restricted in some ways when they're playing with a lot of people because they got to play the same thing every night. But when you're doing stuff like this, they get to you know open up and <laughs> it's amazing what people can do when they're on the spot. So I love the trio from that point of view. Now it says so a, that's going to be. But it says a mix of moody blues and wing songs. Will you also throw some of your solo stuff in, or how will you pick uh, the set list? Yeah. No, absolutely, I will. Well, you know, I don't do like a wings, moody blues. Um, I got a band actually called the Moody Wing Band, and and they do, we do. Um, I mean, we do the band the Run album, and we do some songs from the Moody Blues first album, which is the one I was on. So it's more that's more of a show. But this, when you do it, this kind of thing would be, you know, a lot of my own material. Um, and I'm finding out more that there are more people that know my stuff than I even thought they, they were. So, I mean, I I throw in a couple of songs that, that nobody knows, um, new songs. I've written a song about Paul, and, you know, it's called Below the Waterline, and it goes down really well. And then a, a couple of other songs that people have never heard, but they're just on the merits of the song and the story behind it. You know, they like to hear new stuff. So I, I just try to concentrate on that more than the other stuff. But I do throw in the you know, things I'm known for that I, I did on Wings or Mood Blue Album. So I, I, I kind of mix it up a little bit. But it's really, it's good fun. The solo thing is really fun because you get a lot of people, you know, giving you ideas, throwing questions at you and whatever. So, I mean, that that's a very good audience participation thing to do. Um, I like to keep it as much music and less talk. But, you know, it's good fun, really. Now, now, November 30th, you're playing uh, the storytelling, storyteller songs and stories. How much will be stories? How much will be songs? Well, that's what I was just saying. I, I like to keep it more music. Um but there are, you know, I mean, there's a bit of name dropping going on. <laughs> it's just the way it is. Um, the way the story is behind the songs, basically. That's all it is. Um, and how they came together or what they were about and whatever. Um, but generally speaking, again, it's it's songs I can throw, I can sort of change it around. I can throw in an old one or a new one or whatever. As I feel, you're not tired to a set list so much but even though I do kind of now have more of a set list as, as it develops 
Um, I have the option, I have that luxury that I can tell him whatever I feel like doing at the time of somebody shouts at a song, I'll do it. Now, you have four dates with the Moody Wing coming up, and you have the. Why are they Moody Wing dates and not the trio dates? Is there a certain. Uh, is the trio more experimental, or why Why can't you do both? Well, well, I mean, it's just the logistics. I mean, my band's based in LA, and they were coming, and they're coming out to do, you know, they don't just come out to do one gig, they come out to do these are these are things that people want. You know, they've, they've requested that show, and therefore we're doing that. But the trio thing came around actually as a result of somebody wanting a band, and my guys weren't available. The tools and were. <laughs> so, but I was I was always planning on doing trio shows, but this yeah, this is how this one came about. But I will move that around. If, if I have to use different people, I've got a drummer in Florida, for example, I'm going to be using further on down the line. I mean, whoever's, you know, available, really, to throw something like that together quickly, then I will do that. It's just really a, a case of me wanting to just keep working. I don't want to take any more time off. I'm kind of sick of sitting at home, not doing things like I've done in the past. So I've made these three shows up to to fill out my time. Um, but I know that, you know, I'm going to meet a lot of great players by doing this trio thing, for example. Um, and, you know, maybe add a few other people down the line just as guests to come along to different shows and, and guests on stage. Actually, I've done that before, you know, but um, this is the plan anyway. And uh, I'm looking forward to the trio thing very much because never really done that for a long time so it's going to be fun we have to wrap up soon I just want to ask you what was it like getting inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame well we were just talking about that and uh, <laughs> obviously you know I mean I can now vote I've just got this thing through the post where I've got to vote on certain things um, I find that very difficult to do because there's so many great bands and so many people who deserve it and some more than others I mean in my opinion anyway but it's usually based on the kind of style of music that they're playing that I would I would want to work to me but I've never been able to do that before so now I can it's like I'm a member of the Grammy Museum too the Grammys so I can do that too and it's uh, yeah nice to be in that position but really having having uh, eventually got into the Hall of Fame which we never expected. I mean, I never expected to. I always thought the other Moody's would be in because of their, you know, success that they've had. But I sort of, well, I never thought about it from my point of view. But anyway, we did, and we got in, and it was great because it was a, well, it's an American thing. You know, it's not a British thing so much. It's not like, you know, we're not, looking to be in the Hall of Fame unless but you know but America it's a big thing and you know once you're there and you're meeting everybody well it was great to meet Justin and John and Graham again and Mike um, but other than that you know you, you're part of the it seems like you're part of the American scene you know you've been accepted and it is a good feeling even though you don't think it's going to be it's kind of blow it off to start with but then once you do get in contact 
it's all good. There's nothing wrong with with having some kind of you know award, or it makes you feel good for sure. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time, people. Danny will be playing November 16th. The trio will be in Boca Raton, the Funky Biscuit, November 30th. He's got a storyteller, songs and stories at the Regent Theater in Arlington, Massachusetts. You can check stuff out that at uh, cysticdreamsfun.com. And then he has a bunch of dates uh, with the Moody Wink. December 5th at the Lavoie. December 6th at the, my father's place in Roslyn. Uh, December 7th at the, uh, what is that? The, the Idrium in Jersey, New York. Somewhere. He's got Jersey, which is near me, Millville, and he's got the City Winery, which is a brand new place in Philadelphia, which is really cool, and that's December 8th. So go check him out. Google Denny Lane. Look into his music. Listen to his music. Buy his music. Do whatever you have. So people, check him out. He's, he's a rock and roll Hall of Famer, and his birthday's the day before mine, so we're both Scorpios, so that's good. And people, check out my website, coopertalk.net. I have over 750 episodes. Email me, Cooper coopertalk.net and follow me on Twitter at coopertalk remember I'm Steve Cooper I'm only as hip as my guests don't forget drink your water eat your vegetables take your vitamins and I'll talk to you next time